Last Tuesday, we were watching TV. It was a quiet evening. And around 9.15, the phone started blaring. And the regular programming was interrupted by the weatherman. There was a tornado warning. And we were asked to take cover. So we got off the sofa, found a closet away from the walls, the external walls, and stayed there for the 30 minutes, the duration of that warning. Things were going well in the evening, but normal life or programmed life was interrupted by a tornado warning. Now, that may not be something so significant. After all, if the tornado doesn't come through, it is insignificant, actually. But this kind of happens in life. Uh, we're cruising along, and then suddenly something happens that interrupts our life, our trip, our happiness. There can be major interruptions. There might be minor interruptions. But there are ways in which we face these interruptions. So I remember a major interruption in my life uh, very early on, many years ago. When I first came to the US, uh, I was 23 at that time, came to graduate school. Uh, things were going very well. I was settled in. School was good. Research was good. All that was wonderful. Six months into uh, my time here, uh, I got the message that my uh, mother uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer. So obviously, uh, that was least expected. Uh, it it, it kind of interrupted my smooth sailing. Um, I was a student on a stipend. And in those days, student visa did not allow us to work off campus. So I borrowed money from a friend of mine and made that trip uh, and spent a month with her because I wanted to spend time with my mother. It went on for three years till she passed away at 51, but I got to see her just three times uh, during those three years. But it was something that weighed on my mind that constantly interrupted my smooth sailing. I was in the US, she was in India. There was no iPhones, no WhatsApp, no FaceTime. There was just one phone company that did all the international calls. And a pretty prohibitive price at that was $1.80 a minute or something for conversation. So there wasn't much of that either. It was mostly letter writing back and forth. Things were going very well until normal life was interrupted. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, I mean, that was old time. Two weeks ago, a dear brother of mine called me. Uh, they used to attend church here in our fellowship and moved away to another city. Uh, and he told me, uh, I, I, I have a problem. I said, what's that? He said, you know, things are going really well. I love my job. I love the boss who I work for. I love the company and the company culture. And I'm performing very well. I said, well, that's wonderful news to me. He said, well, there is a problem. Uh, the the, the higher-ups have tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you to do a very special project for us. A very high visibility, good for his career. I said, that's wonderful. He said, well, there is a problem. The manager who I will have to work for is one that nobody wants to work for. Things were well, everything was going good, and he got tapped for a special project, but the manager was a problem. And he said, here's the added problem, which is, if I don't take this opportunity that has been dropped into my lap, I don't have much of a future with the company. I have to make a choice here within the next day or two. Things were going very well. Smooth sailing. Life got interrupted. 
What do we do with these interruptions? What should we do when life is interrupted? Um, things are going well. We're living a, a godly life as best as we know. Come to church, we attend community groups, and then life is interrupted. It's relationships, circumstances, health, sickness, all kinds of interruptions. What should we do? Well, turn with me to Genesis 26 as we have the account of Isaac facing an interruption as he is living a normal life. Now, Genesis 26 is about Isaac. When you think of Isaac in the Old Testament, there is not much that is described about him. Uh, chapters 12 through 23 describe everything about Abraham and his life. Chapters 27 through 35 is about Jacob. That leaves us just three chapters, 24, 25, and 26. Now, 24 is about Isaac's marriage. That's what is described for us. And chapter 25 tells us about Abraham's death and the birth of Isaac's children. So that leaves us just one chapter telling us about the life of Isaac, this patriarch, a man of faith. It gives us a glimpse of his walk of faith. So what do we find? Let's dig in. Genesis 26, 1 and 2. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philippines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land of which I shall tell you. So there's the problem. The account starts with a famine in the land. Now, we might not think much of it because we're not used to famines, but no food, no life, no food, no wealth. I mean, everything is dependent on food and water. So normal life for Isaac is interrupted. So what does he do? He took off to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And uh, God tells him, do not go down to Egypt. If you recall, when there was a famine during Abraham's time, he took off to Egypt. So here God tells him very clearly, stay there, don't go down to Egypt. Now, just in case you wondered how he was going to survive, God says this. He says in verses 3 through 5, he says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give you descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He says, stay here, I will be with you. I, Jehovah God, am with you. I, the one who saves you, protects you, provides for you, and guides you, I am with you. If I am with you, you don't have to worry. That's the message God gives to Isaac. Not only that, he says, I will be with you and will bless you. I will be with you and bless you. God's favor is going to rest on him. He says, I will give you the, these lands and I will give you descendants. I will multiply your descendants and through your descendants, all the nations shall be blessed. So not only his presence, but also a blessing is assured to him. And then he says in verse 5, 
He's going to bless him because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Hint, hint. Isaac, this is what your dad did. He was obedient to me. Maybe you should be too. So what did Isaac do? Um, Isaac lived in Gerar. So he obeyed what God asked him to do. Just stay there. Don't go to Egypt. And so far, so good. Then verse 7. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she was beautiful. Isaac is now fearing for his life. So he decided to take things under control and just lie about who his wife was. His wife was beautiful. He thought he would lose his life. So he said, well, she's my sister. That way they would probably take her if they wanted her, but they would leave him alone and he wouldn't die. So he took control of the situation and lied. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering, what is it that Isaac did not understand about what God told him? If you look back at verse 4, uh, you will find this 3 and 4. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and to your descendants. I will give all these lands, etc. I will multiply your descendants and will give your descendants all these land and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, was it so confusing to Isaac? I mean, he was told descendants, descendants, descendants and descendants. Now, if he had to have descendants, there was no way he was going to lose his life. There was nothing he had to do other than just listen to what God says. So did Isaac not believe what God said? Did he not believe that God was able to protect him? Or did he just forget the promise of God? Or did he hear the promise, but when he found that his life was probably in danger, he said, well, I got to take control of this situation. So Isaac does not trust God. Whatever the reason, when normal life was interrupted for Isaac, his response was, take control of the situation, which is not all that bad, but then lie, which is absolutely being disobedient to what God asked him. Remember, he told him, hey, your dad Abraham was obedient to me, I blessed him, etc. So Isaac distrusts God and lies about it. So I, and so he passes Rebecca off as his sister. Now, did it work? Well, verses 8 through 11 says, It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, saw that Rebecca was not really Isaac's, uh, Isaac's sister. He was really his wife. And so he goes on in verse 9, Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said I might die on account of her. And notice what verse 10 says. Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Think about what's happening here. Isaac, the patriarch. Remember, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Patriarch lies and potentially brings a curse on these people. 
and King, uh, King Abimelech, the Philistine, calls him out. He is concerned that his people are going to be cursed, so he doesn't want that to happen. Isaac, who was supposed to be a blessing, potentially brought a curse down on people. He would have been a source of the curse. And so King Abimelech calls him out. So what did Isaac do? We are not told about Isaac's reaction. We are not told about what Isaac did. But we are told about what God did. Verse 12. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. So Isaac sows and reaps a hundredfold. All Isaac did was sow and God blessed him. He blessed him in numerous ways. We read in verse 13 that he became rich and continued to go richer. So his wealth is growing, his power and possessions are growing, flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants. God has promised him a blessing, and indeed, God did bless. And Isaac, all he did was try to take control of the situation and lie so that he might protect his life. So God blesses Isaac. Now, if God instructs us, and we follow him in obedience, uh, there is no reason why we should resort to deception, to scheming, or underhanded methods. That's the message here, isn't it? If things don't go the way we expected, we don't necessarily have to take control of the situation with a lot of scheming and underhanded methods. Now, that would cause us to think, how many times have we experienced a blessing in spite of our not being faithful. If God has blessed you when you have not been faithful, he certainly has to me, then that should be a fuel for us to think about God's overwhelming grace. He over overwhelms us to move us to trust him and obey him. And then we come to verse 15 through 33, which is another episode of Isaac's life. Remember, he had the promises, and he resorted to scheming and manipulation to make himself safe. Now, does that change Isaac's behavior in the next episode? Let's find out. Isaac had a lot of possessions. Verse 14 tells us he had herds and cattle, livestock, possessions, and people. He was a very wealthy man. So, the, so there we find in verse 15, Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham's father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So he had all these possessions. No water, no life. No water, no wealth. So he needs water. So he goes and looks for the well. And what did the Philistines do? They plugged up all the wells that Abraham's servants had dug in those days. So they envied, is what we said, you're too powerful, and they envied his wealth. And Abimelech then tells him in verse 16, go away because you're too powerful. Leave this place. And so what does Isaac do? He does something very interesting. 
he doesn't fight Abimelech. He does not fight Abimelech. We're told that he had all the power, all the possessions, but he doesn't fight Abimelech. It is not that he did not have the resources to fight. It is not that he did not have the power to fight. He just seems like he doesn't want to fight. What caused this change? It was his experience of a blessing even when he was unfaithful or even when he didn't obey what God asked him to do. Isaac is not fighting. So how does he solve the water problem? He departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar. And verse 19, but when Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, this water is ours. So he named the well Isaac because they contended with him. So when the Philistines came and plugged up all the wells, he doesn't fight. He just moves to another location and starts digging. Things going well? No. There are people coming to fight again. So he called, uh, because of the contention, he called it Esek, which means contention or fight. So his reaction at that point is not one of fighting, but one of moving and digging. It looks like that God was trustworthy and could be relied on even when he was unfaithful. Just moving and digging is what he did. Uh, look at verse 21. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sidna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth, for he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. So when they come after him, he just moves and digs, moves and digs moves and digs, and not a fight. Joyful obedience, even when his life is threatened. The first time he didn't do it, God blessed him. The second time he does it, joyful obedience in the face of trials, in the face of adversity, when life was interrupted. Graham and Gladys Staines were Australian missionaries to India caring for lepers and helping tribals who lived in poverty in India. Uh, Graham Staines came in 1965. Uh, in 81, uh, Gladys came by as a nurse to serve the lepers in the eastern state of Odisha. And they got married, and they have three children. You see that photo up there. On January 23, 1999, Graham and his two boys, Timothy and Philip, were off on a trip, uh, on a camp, and they were in the location and they were sleeping inside their station wagon. A group of opponents, because they were serving the lepers and they were sharing the gospel as well for so many years, they were loved by the local people. A group of opponents came, blocked this station wagon, poured gasoline and set it on fire. Graham, Timothy, and Philip were charred to death. Gladys is left with daughter Esther. And here's what she had to say on a couple of occasions. Gladys states, It is far from my mind to punish the persons who were responsible for the death of my husband. 
Graham and my two children. But it is my desire and hope that they would repent and would be reformed. I have forgiven the killers and have no bitterness because forgiveness brings healing and our land needs healing from hatred and violence. God has forgiven me and expects his followers to do the same. She goes on to say this. It has certainly been with God's help that we continued and have been able to stay close to him. I never held malice towards anyone, but it is God who helped us and sustained us. My daughter is a great blessing to me. It must have been traumatic for her 13-year-old mind to have undergone, undergone such a catastrophic incident so early in life. She was not angry with God. On the contrary, she remained close to God and maintained a very personal relationship with him and never wavered in her faith. And here is what Gladys did. She stayed there for another five years so that she could take care of the transition and then went back to Australia. Joyful obedience when life was interrupted. And in verse 24, God introduces himself to Isaac as the God of your father, Abraham. Verse 24, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. God appears this time around. I am with you and I will bless you. Every well digging that he did was successful. And he found water and God had blessed him. And so what happens next? Now, there is a turning point. God was blessing him because of his actions. And if you look at that slide up there, you see the way it's arranged, right? God appears, I will be with you and bless you. Isaac distrusts God, he lies. God blesses Isaac. Then Isaac trusts God, he doesn't retaliate. And God appears, he says, I'm with you and I will bless you. Just the symmetry of that tells you the turning point is God's blessing of Isaac. God's blessing of Isaac. Isaac distrusts, he lies. God blessed him in spite of that. And he turns, this time around, he trusts God. He doesn't retaliate anymore. He counted his blessings. He experienced the blessing. And he responded, therefore, in obedience to God. And then we find in verse 26, Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of his army. Uh-oh, there's trouble here. The king is back. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? And notice verse 28. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. God says in 26 verse 3, I will be with you. God says in verse 24, I am with you. And in verse down here, Abimelech says, we have seen plainly, verse 28, the Lord has been with you. God says, I will be with you. 
Abimelech says, we see that the Lord has been with you. And then Isaac hears from God that he is with him. This is the God who has no past, present, and future, the eternal God. He is always with you. He is always with us. But Isaac's actions do something here. They reveal to somebody who doesn't believe. It's evangelism of sorts, right? Isaac's action, his action of trusting God in spite of his interruptions, his action of trusting God is a testimony. It testifies to the Philistine king around him that the Lord is responsible for this blessing. How our lives reflect or speak louder sometimes than our words themselves. And in verse 30 and 31, then he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oats when Isaac sent him away and they departed from him in peace. There is peace now that's the result of blessing. Now recall in uh, verse 22, we said we found that Isaac had gone and his servants were digging another well. Did they find water? Verse 32. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So Isaac doesn't trust God or forgets the promise of God, takes life into control and lies to protect his life. God blesses him in spite of that, makes him a very wealthy man that completely changes his reaction the next time around when people oppose him, when water, the very source of existence, is threatened, he doesn't fight. He just digs and moves, digs and moves, trusting that God will provide for him. And you find uh, that happening over this, uh, this series of verses here. So the question then becomes this, how will we respond when our lives are interrupted? Major interruptions, minor interruptions. We can try to take control of our situation, which in and of, of itself is not so bad. But if we do it like Isaac did the first time, we're in trouble because he had no regard for what God had told him. Or we can stay in steady, joyful obedience in response to the way God has blessed us, just like Isaac did when he recognized God's blessing. So we have a choice. So think about an interruption, perhaps, that you're currently facing. Something that is disturbing your normal programmed life. Maybe it is in a relationship. Something has gotten in the way with a friend, a spouse, a colleague. Maybe it is your job situation. Something has changed, loss of job, change of manager, change of direction, unfavorable boss, whatever that might be. Just a couple of examples. Think about the interruptions in your life. The question really becomes this. How can we, like Isaac, move through this in joyful obedience? How can we, through, like Isaac, move through this in joyful obedience? If these interruptions cause anxiety, remember the words of Jesus. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, seek above all else, 
the kingdom of God. Figure out what our reactions, our responses, our actions should be as we live in God's kingdom, under God's rule, when we face an interruption. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Live righteously. Live in a way that is right by God's standards. That, Jesus said, is the antidote to anxiety if that, is the, if that happens when we face interruptions. So when the normal programming and planning of your daily life is interrupted this week, maybe big, maybe small, maybe people, maybe circumstances, maybe situations, we can do these three things. We can remember God's blessing. We can trust God's ways. And we can respond right. Remember God's blessings, just as Isaac did or he experienced. We can trust God's ways, just as Isaac did when there were people fighting him for water. And then respond right, which is what Isaac did, moving away and digging moving away and digging. We therefore don't have to fight everything at every turn. We really don't have to fight everything at every turn. Isaac didn't. God was pleased. We don't have to. God will be pleased. Nobody ex exemplifies this uh, more than a very dear friend of ours. Uh, she was diagnosed with leomyosarcoma, a very deadly form of cancer, back in 2017. It's a rare cancer. She went through surgery and several rounds of chemotherapy and uh, looks like things are not working. Now, if you know her and you meet her, you will find her to be a tremendous woman of faith with a very joyful demeanor before this diagnosis and through this diagnosis. Here is what she told us in April. That was a month ago. We have decided not to pursue further treatment. The cancer is growing and spreading. I can now feel a lot more of the effects of the disease and some of the tumors themselves. I have pain regularly and my energy is diminishing. So she says, this is my mindset. Live the life that's left. Don't just try not to die. God has given me a certain number of days here and I need to use, enjoy, and invest them. My days here are numbered. My days in eternity are numberless. God is with me for these, and I will be with him for those. It's a win-win, but there is also some pain in the equation. And she called us to pray for her. And uh, just a few days ago, this is what she said. Good news. My recent scans show the cancer progressing at the same rate as it has been before, not faster. That means if other things don't change or create problems, my doctor thinks I should see 2022. That's quite a bit longer than we had thought. Joyful perseverance in the face of interruptions in life not just one day or two days, but over a period of four years now that we know. And it's her faith that sustains her. Remember God's blessing. Trust God's ways and respond right with joyful obedience. And we don't have to fight everything at every turn. Our gracious God, we thank you 
for these words. Thank you for the life of Isaac that you've recorded for us. Thank you for the lessons and the message you have for us, calling us to a life of joyful obedience, not because we deserve anything, but just as a response to the tremendous blessings that you shower on us, have showered on us, and will continue to do so because we are your children. Help us, Lord, to do that, that we may not fight everything at every turn, but that we may remember your blessings, that we may trust your sovereign ways, and that we may live righteously and respond right in every situation. Help us to that, and because we are helpless, as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a time of response in prayer. So as the prayer ministry team comes forward, may I invite you, invite you to come forward for prayer. Maybe it's an interruption that you have in the programmed life that you live. Maybe there is something there you'd love for a brother or sister up front here to pray with you about. Whatever that might be, maybe it's a praise. Please feel forward to come. Please feel free to come forward so that we could pray together because God hears our prayer.